0: Welcome to Behavior Babes podcast presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha, and thank you for joining us today. Today we have Lorna Murdoch. Lorna, thank you for joining me for the show.
1: You're welcome. I'm happy to be here.
0: I'm so excited to have you and to have connected with you. Why don't we have you begin by giving an introduction of yourself to our listeners?
1: Well, as you said, I'm Lorna Murdoch, and I have a wonderful daughter. I'm also Uber mom. 22 years ago, my daughter was diagnosed with autism. And for autism, that's a lifetime ago. A lot of things weren't available. We didn't know a lot of things that we do today. Pretty much when I received the diagnosis, my only exposure to autism, I'm ashamed to say, was watching rain, man. So that's where I was coming from. I had an 18-month-old who was diagnosed with autism, and all I could think about is, hmm, one day we may go to Vegas and win at a casino game. That's all I had to work with. And starting <laughs> from that, that was pretty low point to start from, because that's pretty much all my exposure to autism. It took a while, but I quickly had to ramp up and see what services are available. What can I do to help my daughter make the most of life because i believe life is a gift for all of us how do we make the most of it so that's where my journey started what resources are available what schools are available to her and i wanted to stay involved in the process once i got direction i found out about different mode of therapy aba therapy speech therapy occupational therapy and i wanted to stay involved but my daughter didn't speak so I needed to find a way to communicate with her. How do I communicate with this person who is not speaking to me? She look at me. I know that she can communicate based on things that she has done. I mean, for example, one day I was, for some reason, I was watching TV and I was dancing. It was a good song. She looked at me. I guess she didn't like the way I was dancing. She turned the TV off and she walked out of the room. I turned the TV back on and I started dancing because I thought I had great moves. She looked at me, she walked out, she was about two years at the time, she pushed the chair up, climb on the chair, opened the breaker panel and pop the breaker and turn all the electricity off. Clearly I needed to learn how to dance. And clearly this girl know how to communicate. So then it was up to me, how do I relate to her? How do I help her and also help her therapist? Because therapy sessions were half an hour, one hour. How do I make sure that knowledge carry over? And how does it carry over in a natural way? A way that can benefit her, not overwhelm her. Because I didn't like that feel of, I need to train her to be something that she's not. How do I take who she is and enhance it? What areas areas is she struggling in? What skills does she have that's emerging? And how do I take those emerging skills and help her build on those skills? And based on that philosophy, I partnered with her ABA therapist, her speech therapist, her occupational therapist. I partnered with her school psychologist. I partnered with everyone, the ESC specialist. How do I get everyone on the same page so we could all move forward in a direction that's beneficial to her? And I started making resources. I couldn't find the things that I want that she was interested in because I realized if she's interested in something, she's most likely to learn that because she cares about it. Now, how do I find things that she's interested in and then pair those with things that she needs to know so she can continue her journey? And that was my challenge. So I made resources based on her interests. As she got older, her developmental stage portion of it still lag. And because her developmental stage lag, again, the resources that were available to her, they weren't relevant. For example, she was a teenager, but based on where her developmental stage is, the books that were available, they had pictures of baby bears in it. The book was, Paul had $5. If he bought six apples for 75 cents, how much does he have remaining? She hates apples. She doesn't care how much Paul has remaining. She doesn't care about Paul. (laughs) What she does care about is getting a t-shirt from Hot Topics and buying a burrito from Chipotle. How do I take those things and create resources to teach her how to do money math and then have her see the reward from it so it pretty much take what she needs to know and marry it with what she want to know so she can move forward. So I started going on the websites. I get images. I'd use those images to do money math. You have $50. How much t-shirts can you buy? Once she mastered that with her therapist, I'd build the resources and hand it over to the therapist. Once she mastered that, We went to the store and she got the money and she was able to buy her T-shirts to go back to school. And she knew what she was doing. And I realized she's getting it. She can get it. I just need to take these huge topics, break these topics down into sections, then break these sections down into things that are relevant to her and things that she care about, and then create materials to teach her these things. Like another example is, She care about what she eats. She care about having food in the fridge. She want to have lemonade. She want to have her favorite drink, but she doesn't really care about budgeting. She doesn't care if that lemonade costs a dollar or a hundred dollars. She just want her lemonade. So I took that and create a resource to teach her how to realize, how to go through and look when something is high or when it's low. And if that item is low, then move it to the grocery list but I had to break all of these things down for her so she can get it and once she got it she owned those skills and I also found out unfortunately that her therapists or ABA therapists they were contractors so they weren't paid a lot and they were expected to buy expected to buy resources oh. well that was a challenge for them so I know they couldn't afford the resources, so me creating the resources made a big difference for them and also for my daughter, mainly for my daughter. And they started asking, well, can we use these resources? Can we have them? I'm like, sure. Once my daughter is done with it, you can have whatever. And then I realized, you know, this translates to other kids. This is something that's relevant. And when we went into lockdown, I had time on my hands and... I love my job. And I realized that I love creating resources more than I love my day job. And that got me to thinking, well, you may want to transition to this because I honestly loved my day job. I loved what I did, but I'm like, I need to, trans- I need to transition to this. It's better for my daughter. And there are a lot of parents who are in the same boat that I'm in. Your child is now an adult and the only material available to teach them money, math, to teach them skills are design. For toddlers or preschoolers, they're not going to relate. You know, my daughter would like pretty much stare in space when you see Paul have five dollars. But once she had anim- anime characters, she had things that she related. She had hot topic t-shirts. She had burritos. You know, she had all of those things that mattered to her. She became interested in learning, and she also saw the benefit of it right away. And so. As a result of that, I created a website called Adulting on the Spectrum. I have life skills videos for like topics that pretty much all of us need to know. I also create activities that have questions and answers to reinforce learning, to assess how the person is doing, and that's on teacher's pay teachers. So,
0: wow, Lorna, I um, you know, I'm so grateful that you reached out to me. Uh, via email and I started looking at your resources, I immediately, as you mentioned, found topics that were relevant outside of anybody on the spectrum. It's relevant to all of us. It's not specific, but the tools and the concepts, the resources, making them respect somebody's age and years on this planet is such a valuable contribution to what what families and what, what children and adults have been able to access. You mentioned so many times motivation. And I love your story about dancing. Um, I really thought the second time you were gonna say she walked back over and turned it off or unplugged it. I never ever thought in my wildest dreams you would talk about her going over to the breaker, Um, which makes me think just how much, how much everybody has the ability to observe and watch from their environment. And you had also, I think you mentioned well, well, these things just didn't exist. So I'm going to go and create them. And I know it, I I imagine it probably wasn't that simple. Um, However, you right there also had so much motivation. This is your child. This is your daughter. And then you see the impacts on her and the feedback from her therapist. And I'm just grateful that you then took the next step to say, okay, fine. here's, Here's a bit more of that for the rest of the world who might need to access it too. You mentioned um, adulting on the spectrum. I wanna make sure we'll definitely uh, give that link and resources to everybody so they know where to find it. Um, just right now, I'm you know, browsing through on the, on the Facebook page and it's about how to um, purchase things at a grocery store, but also high and low. I love that concept. Another one that I saw just yesterday, that I was like, you know what? I don't think I've ever seen a material about this. And it was about creating safe and strong passwords on the internet or with your money, um, if you're thinking about banking and things like that. Where do you get the array of things? Is this coming truly from your experiences with your daughter and or is it informed with other information?
1: Well, the password also come from my background. My background is IT. So creating a strong password is something that... um, it's part of my everyday life when i was in the i.t world but also my daughter does a lot of stuff online she plays games online she's always online so knowing how to create a strong password is a, is mandatory it's not just like a work thing anymore because our kids spend so much time online and how do you create not just a strong password but one that you'll remember I mean, because we all see the ones that the computer create for us, those aren't meant for humans. So how do you create (laughs) a strong password that doesn't have, you know, a thousand special characters that you have to write down and pin on your laptop, which defeat the purpose to remember? So that's one of the things that I wanted to teach her how to create a strong password so just based on where we are in life, that's how I came up with some of the things and things that we have done in the past. Like she wanted a bank account. She didn't want to use my bank because my bank didn't have a cool commercial. So she wanted a bank account <laughs> with the bank that had a better commercial. So we had to go through the process. We had to model, we're going to go get a bank account. This is why you need a bank account. You know, not just because they have a really cool commercial. <laughs> so that's how the <laughs> why you need a bank account came about. So a lot of things just came about by just us doing life and me trying to be observant with, you know, what, where is she going, what she need, what matters to her? Because I noticed if something matters to her, she would learn it. And it's the same for all of us. I mean, we all learn things because they matter to us. We can use them. We can see the value of it. I learned so much in school that, well, I've never had a conversation about entropy. I spend a lot of time doing advanced physics never came up but going to the grocery store come up every single week because it Mm -hmm. matters to our everyday life so that's what i was looking at how do i create things that matters to our everyday life like how to create an emergency exit plan most people don't think about it but you need an emergency exit plan
0: yes i um i was looking at that one in particular and i shared that with uh, some colleagues and friends um who are affiliated with the September 26 project. Um, Before we started this episode, I was uh, sharing with you about my friend Feta and her son, Muhammad, who perished in a house fire. And one of the pieces that the project is doing, which is formed uh, after their deaths, is looking at how do we create an exit plan? How do we put this on our assessment tools? How How do we start the conversation the first day we meet family saying, you know, there's so many skills, there are so many opportunities for teaching that sometimes we overlook planning for emergencies because they're, you know, hopefully they're less likely to occur and they're a bit abstract. So it's, it's hard to say, imagine you're in this house fire without then placing somebody under duress. When I saw your um, short tutorial on identifying an exit plan, I immediately shared that with Kelly Birmingham and some others. And I thought, hey, maybe there's a way for this to be Link together maybe we can partner on that and, and or at least guide people toward that resource when they come to the September 26th project it is so pertinent so relevant and oftentimes just so low in our list of things that we target that's why I mean the breadth of the the topics that you have is really quite expansive and that's why I was like how, how is this informed but our daily lives our daily lives
1: the how to create an emergency exit plan also came from my military background. I was in the Navy and I was on a ship. When you're on a military ship and you're out to sea, if you have a fire, you can't call 911. So we all had roles that you know we had to fill because if something happened, we had to be self-sufficient. So how to create an emergency exit plan, that came from my military background. Yeah, I connect with you on that
0: a lot. My father is a retired colonel and Um, once we were at a large event and it was in this big stadium. And he and I both had like identified the exits and we were kind of doing it subtly um, because people started to sit in the aisles and I was like, oh, that's not really safe. Like, how are we gonna navigate through this? And I said something and my dad looked at me and we looked at each other and we realized we had been doing it. We had different backgrounds and different reasons for doing it, but always knowing how to quickly find the exit has been essential. for a lot of the clients I work with, and different times in my own life as well, um, interesting that yes, it's it's ingrained in that military training. You know, s- staying alive and surviving, and <laughs> um, and thank you for your for your service. A-, a question I have for you with that is: Were you actively in the military when you had your ch- when you had your daughter? Um, yes, yes. How did how did that impact? Um, I don't know if you were moving a lot. I associate that with military from my own experiences. Um, but that's a whole other layer in accessing services. How are you able to navigate that? Well, what did that look like if it, so many years ago it seems like in the world of autism?
1: Well, actually, after I had my daughter, I got out of the military eighteen months after I had my daughter. so okay. I got out of the I got out of the military and then. I would say within six months of getting out of the military, that's when I realized she had autism. So she didn't, she wasn't diagnosed when I was in the military. It was outside when I got out of the military. That's when she was diagnosed.
0: Okay. And where do you mind me asking? When you were saying ABA, OT, PT, speech, I'm still marveling at that, that parents today are not getting given all of that information or prescription, or it can be very dependent on where you live. Um, or or knowing the right questions to ask or somebody else informing you. Um, and then you mentioned so beautifully about tying those relationships together. You were like, I worked with the you know, ESC special education team. I worked with the psychologist, with the OTPT, with her therapist. I want to know how, how were you able to work so collaboratively with everybody and what was that experience like? Were they able to work with one another as well?
1: Well... The working with started with an excellent psychologist that I had. He taught me how to work with everyone he would call the school and he would say, this is what we're working on. and this is These are the things that we need to carry over. He would give me notes to give to the speech therapist. And once she no longer needed to see him, then I carry over that relationship. But he pretty much taught me how to work with everyone because his concept, which made sense, if everyone is on a different page, it's going to make it harder for her to learn something and carry it over while not all the discipline do the exact same thing everyone needs to be moving in the same direction. So for example, if she's working on why questions with her ABA therapist, then when she goes to speech, they should incorporate a few why questions in whatever she's doing. The same thing with OT. So even if we had to feed them those questions, they would incorporate a few of those questions. So whatever she learned in ABA would carry over to OT, would carry over to speech Also, same thing with school. And I would also try to incorporate that at home as well. That's
0: fantastic. I love hearing that. And I think that that gives some parents uh, a place of, you know, where do I get guidance? And you can find sort of a, a case manager or someone who you align well with, even if they're not officially in that type of position or title who can help facilitate and give that information. I really appreciate it how you said we may not all be doing the same thing but we're going in the same direction. I think in my experiences when I've seen things work really well, everybody benefits from learning about each other's information. It sometimes is a barrier of time. You know, where do we find the time? So you were mentioning even notes and messages. So it's not always a sit down 4 hour IEP meeting for some families. It can be those sort of ongoing exchanges of information. And then you said, I learned from what we did together. And when that individual was no longer guiding you, you had the tools to then guide the rest of your daughter's team. That's fantastic. And also, again, very admirable amount of energy and time that it takes. But again, back to the motivation of ensuring your daughter lives her best life. Um, I think that we can all relate to that or wanting that. You were also mentioning, you know, I was chuckling. I, I didn't know if you caught it when you were talking about passwords. I'm like, yeah, I can't remember them. That's the thing. I can't remember them. I've made a really strong one. And now I'm like, is it with the asterisks at the beginning or the end or the exclamation mark? And then we write them down. And now everybody has our passwords. It's the exact same scenario you described. Um, and and I think that some of the visuals you use in particular Um, I'd love to talk to you about how did you identify that Um, you don't have to give away any of your trade secrets, but the, the clips or the video shorts, they're easy to digest. They can be paused they can be rewound or we don't rewind anymore, but we can go back and play again at the beginning. Um, That repetition has been very helpful for many clients that I've worked with and individuals um, on the spectrum in particular. How did you learn to create these kinds of resources?
1: Well, my background is IT. That helped. I subscribe to a service where I get images and I take those images and I use Adobe product. During the lockdown period, I was working full-time, but I still had a lot of time on my hands because the malls were closed. The malls were closed. (laughs) (laughs) So I took that time and I learned a lot of things because again, the malls were closed. So I did have a lot of time on my hand, so I learned and. Also, a big part of what I was trying to do was my daughter is getting older. She's 24 years old. And my thing is, if she needs something and I'm not right there, can she go somewhere and look at it and rewind it? Can she pause it? So I wanted to create something for her. And then it just exploded into, well, a lot of other people could use that. And I enjoy technology. I enjoy learning new things. So creating those videos, I started off, you know, putting this together, putting that together and looking at. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. And I'll ask her, she's like, yeah, no, that's stupid. And then we got to the place where she liked it. And I'm like, okay, I have something. <laughs> and she's very honest. She would tell me if I'm going in the wrong direction. She's extremely honest. And, you know, very sweet girl, but she's very honest. I was actually learning to cook, and I made a pasta dish. I think she was, like, seven years old. And I'm like, can you try this? And she wasn't saying much. She would say, "Uh oh, and bye-bye. And because she didn't have the language, she looked at me, she covered her mouth, and she took off running like a bat out of hell. She did not want to try it. She's very honest. That communication was very
0: clear.
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, I have so many examples because sometimes people think, okay, the person is autistic, so they don't understand. No, it's just you need to find a way to reach them. My daughter was always able to communicate. She wasn't verbal for a while, but she always got her point across. I mean, one of my best friends, I love this lady. I mean, she was so kind. She gave me so much advice and she loved my daughter. She was just so enamored by her. And my daughter was like, I think 18 months at the time, and she came by to visit, and she was just playing with her. And I think I, I got the impression that my daughter had enough when she took the lady's purse and her shoes and put it at the front door. <laughs> she was done.
0: I have, I have been the provider who has had my keys and my bag handed to me. Um, I like to think with clients who really, really enjoy, we have wonderful um, interactions and a lot of fun, I think, during the teaching and learning. but there comes a point where we've all had enough. and yep, yeah, that's a that's a pretty clear indicator as well. <laughs> so you were mentioning that her language has her, her speech has progressed over the years. does she would you um, say that your daughter is a, a verbal communicator now? Oh or yes.
1: Oh, definitely. She She's verbal, I mean full sentences. She also did sign language, which helped her not. She didn't do sign language because of autism. She got interested in it watching, I think a show called Switched at Birth. So I got her a sign language tutor and sign language also helped her because she picked up sign language faster and she picked up verbal words. So her sign language tutor started teaching her reading comprehension, English and marrying those two also help her language.
0: That's so interesting for me to hear that, uh, one, I love that the interest, it came again motivated by her interest and then something she was watching and so forth. But my understanding and, and having delved into some of the research, the fear that a lot of parents and some providers have is that if we use these other modalities, it's going to limit or make less likely that an individual may learn or be able to speak. And the research shows the opposite. Um, It helps teach a lot of concepts and it can carry the gaps in any types of certain types of language. Um, One example I think about, I remember an instructor teaching us like, you're supposed to remember these five colors. And then they like take the screen away and it's like, what was it? And we're all doing something to remember them in our head. We're going red, blue, blue, yellow, green, Um, or we're signing. And he was showing us like a sign like this is red, 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 blue, you know, green. And he's like, so we're engaging in this behavior that nobody can see. And so if we are aware of those processes, they do exist for other people. And so having that multiple way of of conjuring up whatever is the most effective communication um, can really be very beneficial. And now not everybody who was originally described as non-speaking will will have vocal speech, but for many individuals, we do see that. at what age did your daughter start telling you, like, I want to go to Hot Topic and no, I don't like what you're creating? <laughs> like, When did she get that robust type of more robust language?
1: When she was a teenager, when she was like 15, 16, her language started. I mean, actually, her language exploded based on her school. Her language exploded when she was in the eighth grade. And that's when we did a lot with nutrition. And mm-hmm. it really helped her and her language started coming more, more fluency. And then she started getting more of her own opinions and things like that when she was like 16, 17 and more. I mean, and she had, I mean, she had a lot of great support. I mean, she had, I mean, her high school was, her high school was absolutely wonderful. I mean, it was inclusive and I believe that helped her a lot. She really blossomed when she went to high school. I mean, her high school had like, I think, somewhere up around 1100 kids it was a huge school but wow. I mean they did an incredible job you know she was a part of the school I mean she was actually prom queen you cool. know in a, in a, at a it. huge high school so I mean out of 1100 schools, I'm like wow some <laughs> schools are getting it right and her high school was one of those schools that you know really made her feel included and I think that helped a lot picking That's up some sometimes. of the language from her yeah. you know
0: Well, the more we can be exposed to um peers our age and people who have similar interests and differing opinions um again quite a time to be motivated to to share your thoughts um as well but to hear about schools getting it right is unfortunately too infrequent in my experience but when it happens it purely feels like magic um i know there's science and a lot of hard work and blood sweat and tears that go in it but I had some great experiences, particularly in the public schools in Massachusetts. And um, maybe it made me a little bit naive about what the rest of the world could accomplish in their schools too, or not. You know, Maybe it made me a little bit hopeful and can see beyond what people sometimes see as impossible. So kudos and a shout out to her school. Um, and, and thank you for emphasizing what it feels like when, it, when people get it right, when, when it gets done correctly. That's fantastic. Um, well, uh, gosh, thank you so much for letting me ask all the questions of my own uh, brain and inquiry here. But I know everybody wants to know, where do they find you? Where do they find this information? I know you mentioned Teachers Pay Teachers, um, but give us give us some very specific places where people can go or how they can get a hold of you if they want to partner, if they have questions.
1: Adulting on the spectrum. My website is adulting on the spectrum. You can always get a hold of me. There is actually a contact form next to the About Me section. So you can get a hold of me there. And I'm on Teachers Pay Teachers. Again, the store is Adulting on the Spectrum. And there's a lot of great free resources. I try to make as much free resources as possible because autism is expensive. Mm. So I try to make as much free resources as possible. So there's a lot of free resources. I try to... try to do like a 50 50 split. I try to make as much free as possible, though. It takes a lot of time and energy, but as a parent, I know what it feels like. I know I never want someone to want something for their child and say, you know what, because of cost, I can't get it. So being a parent, I think in this unique club, you, you're not just you empathize because you're walking the same road.
0: Yeah. I, I understand why um, our mutual connection put us in, in contact even more so uh, by the end of this this podcast here. Many years ago, I created my website with sort of the same idea. I didn't think that you should have to pay to understand some basic concepts and things that you could start doing with your child or in your home or with the babysitter or whoever to get some some things going. Of course, I do believe that people need Consultants and and specialists and so forth, but the basics shouldn't be out of reach. They shouldn't be beyond reach if we're really trying to create that community of support, um, which I I imagine is why I was just so overwhelmed and overjoyed to find you, or for you to find me, and for me to find your resources. Lorna, thank you so much for joining um, me on the show here today and for giving everybody this information, but for also giving us access to these resources. It's really been my pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. So again, you can find Lorna Murdoch's information and all of these resources by Adulting on the Spectrum, also on social media sites. And if you're interested in learning more about applied behavior analysis, you can visit me at www.behaviorbabe.com.